0: listening to the pharmacy podcast network. Welcome to the Sports Pharmacy Podcast. My name is Dr. H and I am your host. I am a wellness pharmacist, pharmacy owner and certified sports nutritionist. Join me while we discuss a wide range of topics ranging from health and wellness, sports and even some small business secrets. Feel free to join our Discord for more interactions with me and other fellow listeners. Now let's get into the show. Welcome, 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 sports pharmacy fans. Welcome to another episode. First one of 2024. Let's get cracking. It's crazy, right? First one. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. I have with me Dr. Layla Javidi. She is a family practitioner out of Central Ohio, and we randomly met on TikTok of all places. She just she lets me make fun of my profession. I watch her make a fun of you know everything, which is awesome. It's fun to see. Dr. Layla, what's up, man? How are you?
1: I'm good. This is the first time that I am actually collaborating with anybody from TikTok. And I'm really excited about that because I feel like this is, I love to talk about this stuff all day long and none of my friends want to. And so now I have this whole new world of friendship where I can just blast, put the healthcare system on blast essentially. Exactly
0: right. (laughs) That's what we, what kind of what we wanted to discuss. Right before we started recording, Dr. Lane and I were chatting about what sort of things do people want to hear about. Is it gripes between what happens in family medicine, what happens in pharmacy? So we're just going to dive into it. I have some questions that I'm going to ask her that I have not pre-shown her because I want to grill her a little bit. Love it. Yeah. And she's going to have some pharmacy questions for me because we can, we can talk all day about issues with the pharmacy benefit manager, issues with payment reimbursements. And I'm sure it's the same thing in family medicine. But let's get into it, man. Why don't you first tell us a little bit about yourself, tell us your background, what it is you want to accomplish with this, and uh, how your TikTok stuff is going.
1: All right. I guess I'm from Ohio and was raised in Northeast Ohio. Just standard operating procedure in Northeast Ohio. And I went to Ohio State University. And sorry then, to hear that. Uh, <laughs> are you a sorry. Michigan fan?
0: No, I'm neither. I'm just, I'm just a. I'm, so I went to Carolina, so I'm from North Carolina originally. So, so I mean, we
1: don't even know please. about you or care about you. So what that, you mean?
0: That's, okay (laughs) all right
1: (laughs) you're talking to the wrong girl by the way if anybody asked me that I was going to be on a sports pharmacy podcast they would be like why seems a little off brand for you
0: (laughs) (laughs) we try to cover everything here man it's more fun when we can open up people's horizons to everything
1: I agree and listen I like to have sports banter to pretend with my patients like I have any kind of knowledge at all so I'm like yes basketball you have
0: you have things that you like pre-remember just in case they ask you
1: I basically, like anything that we talk about here, I am going to take with me to, I'm going to take with me. I'm (laughs) going to take with me to the office.
0: That's awesome. (laughs) But
1: you can't go too far down that rabbit hole or you will- you will out yourself. Somebody will eventually ask you a question that you're like, I don't understand. (laughs) So that's a player
0: or is that a city? I don't know what you're saying.
1: (laughs) Exactly,
0: exactly.
1: But yeah, so I went to undergrad at OSU and I actually, after undergrad went to, I worked in industrial engineering. I worked for a company called Keyence. And I did, essentially the sales force would sell their sensors and vision systems and safety light curtains. And I would be the one to come in and be like, uh eh, just can't actually do that, and like actually help them troubleshoot, program stuff like that. And I went through that, and I was like, "Ugh, this is just." I just couldn't believe being a woman in that field. I was like, and especially how young I was. It was just like, "Nah, this yeah. isn't the vibe." It felt like all about money. So I decided I'm going to go back to medical school. Of course, I'm. I didn't do well on my MCAT. I'm working full time. I, I just crapped out on the MCAT and I didn't get a single interview in the U.S. So I decided to apply abroad. And when I got an interview at St. George's and got in, I remember crying, but not because I was happy. I was crying because I was like, God damn it. I guess I have to do this now. And I guess have no I have to now. leave. <laughs> yeah. And but so I ended up doing a program where I did uh, my master's in public health first to see if I liked the island, see if it was like going to work for me. And honestly, that year was the best year of my life. Ended up doing like a lot of stuff even further abroad at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine in the UK, um, working on public health stuff, mostly how public health influences girls' education. And then went back and after finishing my few years on the island with the basic sciences, came back to uh, the United States, did all my rotations in uh, Brooklyn and I was one of the lucky people who my my by the way, what's the swearing protocol on your podcast?
0: I try to keep it pretty clean, but okay. if, I, uh, that. I can If I need to say here if I need to censor I'll edit all this part up. If I, I oh, need to censor well, <laughs> it's no big deal. You're good.
1: Listen, I'm an open book and okay. if you like I don't <laughs> mind any of this kind of thing, but I was one of the... I'm going to say crappy. I had a crappy community hospital in Brooklyn, and yep. it was a lot of those bought, up there, huh? Oh, it was... Yeah, there's a lot of those. If That's, my okay. if
0: my niece is listening, she's she's about to graduate from Rutgers, and she wants to go to medical school, but she's taking a gap year as well. Listen to what she's saying. She took her time. You graduated. You worked even between you going to medical school. And yes. what I'm hearing is Brooklyn is, it's Brooklyn is
1: Brooklyn. I will not bash
0: anybody not- from up there.
1: It was difficult but I would say that I had the best situation because my crappy hospital got bought by NYU so I was now being trained by all NYU physicians and but had the patient population a difficult patient population so I just learned quite a bit of medicine had a lot of like I did my psych rotation in Lincoln in the Bronx like that kind of a thing so hardcore so then when I came back to Ohio to do my residency it was like it was like, you guys are, you guys think this is
0: like, okay, pretty good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, pretty good. So yeah, that's, then I went, yeah, graduated, went into family medicine and now Dr. Layla is sad and that's where I'm at now.
0: (laughs) Dr. Layla is sad. So we're, let's get into this. So (laughs) I personally, I'm not sure how much you know about me, but I I own Stonebriar Pharmacy, which is a pharmacy here in Frisco, Texas. Uh, I moved to Texas in 2012, uh, met my wife here. We built a house here. We put our roots here. So after I graduated pharmacy school in Virginia, I moved over here. And I worked for CVS for seven years before that. So I was, I went up the ranks. I was a you know, store pharmacist, and I went and became a pharmacy manager. and Then I became a district manager for a little while. I was in charge of 21 stores on the Fort Worth side. I lasted nine months as a district manager just because I didn't like how I was treating the pharmacist. I just didn't like it. I stepped down. This was a step down in 2017, 2018. I stepped down to become a pharmacist, worked at a busy store. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to buy my own pharmacy and let's just get started. So in 2019, in June, I, I purchased my own pharmacy. I've been growing it since. We survived COVID somehow, which was you know awesome. But um, we are predominantly a compounding pharmacy. So about 90 to 95% of my business is cash pay. So I don't even take that much insurance. I said 2023, we're about 8% insurance reimbursements. And I showed my father this. He was he's actually here in town. I showed my dad, I was like, hey dad, this is how much the insurance paid me for two weeks. They paid me forty-four dollars for all the prescriptions I processed in them.
1: Yeah. Which is
0: stupid. And I was like, thank God I don't Insane. have to rely on them. It's crazy. And I'm and I'm sure it's the same in family medicine. So for you, what was your passion when you were going through medical school? Did you want to do family practice? Or were you thinking of of going a different direction?
1: This is a funny little thing. I initially, when I first Wanted to go back to school. I was like, "How can I mix my desire for troubleshooting and problem solving and aesthetics? Combine that." So I thought I would want to actually do surgery. I thought I wanted to be a plastic surgeon. Nice. Until I actually did. But actually, what changed my mind was, and I guess I completely missed this part of the story. In between my master's in public health and starting my first semester of of uh, medical school. I was diagnosed with stage three thyroid cancer Really, and it was found by my beautiful doctor, Dr. Erin Hillard. And honestly, she basically did a complete physical exam on me before I went to the island. And, and she was like, I feel something on your thyroid. If I had a dollar for everybody sent to ultrasound, but long story short had to do treatment. Wasn't that terrible. I honestly, I didn't process any of that until I was older. Um, but it was stage three because it, it, it's for the people out there who are interested in pathology. It was a, a combined. It was papillary carcinoma with follicular variant. So okay. essentially, one, one grows one way and one grows the other way. And they spread differently. But I had aspects of both. So mine was spreading hematogenously wow. as well as through my lymph nodes. And so it was pretty intense, but not then for me. But yeah, so I, after that, I went into school thinking, not real, having more of an open mind and seeing what that was. And then the irony is that when I went through all my rotations, that's when I decided surgery, ugh surgery. The lifestyle sucks here. I'm gonna, you know what? I'm going to do primary care because it is awesome. My doctor saved my life and the lifestyle, man.
0: That's yeah, what exactly. I <laughs> I They always try family. to feed you, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. I went into family medicine thinking, Oh, this will be nice. My hours will be just general nine to five kind of thing. And I'll I'm not going to be dealing with like major crises all the time. And boy, was I wrong. I thought that family medicine was going to be a lifestyle that was something that would, you know, accommodate a family. Boy, was I wrong. Boy, was I wrong. And over the past few years in my private practice, did I realize that it is simply it is insurance companies extracting capital from the system all the middlemen, and it just keeps piling up all the middlemen that are taking money from the system and preventing us from paying our employees a livable wage, not even a, li- a, a reasonable wage for the work they do. And after COVID, it just got really intense with all of the distrust of the healthcare community and especially having my master's in public health and epidemiology. I thought, I'm ready, coach. Yeah. There, sports. yeah. I'm ready, There you coach, go, there you go. Coach, put me in and honestly i couldn't believe how nobody wanted to or cared to hear what experts had to say so mm-hmm. between that and then a couple tragedies that happened in my life over the the couple of years my ex was in a in a devastating motorcycle accident and my mom had passed away from complications of lung cancer
0: It's been a mess man
1: It's been a mess It's been yeah. a mess It's been a mess And after that happened, and I realized how messed up this system was, and I realized how I could no longer function as a doctor that is seeing 25 patients in a half day, I just was like, I was hopeless, didn't have my mom, didn't have my ex, and I was like, where do I go for help? And I just started making funny TikToks about stuff, and here we are.
0: It's it's remarkable how... The internet can be such a great thing where it helps like, I, for me, Dr. Layla, I'm, I'm a huge proponent for mental health and mental health awareness, just because I've struggled with it my entire life as well. So it's something that some people can find solace in other people, like beating people like us, the way we met on the internet, like helping each other That's That true. the best that you could do. And there's a lot of cool people on the online that really share their ways of how to deal with tragedy, how to deal with trauma, how to deal with just general anxiety, which is really cool. Not everything like we'll talk about is not it doesn't have to be medicated, right? It could be just as right. simple. Like, my thing is if I don't journal, like in a day, I drive myself crazy. Like, I need something to just write down. Just even if it's like, today blue, I don't even care about it anymore. I want to figure out what to do next kind of thing. So, that's yes. it's, it's something that helps people just put something on paper. And I've shared this multiple times on here is that I've even through pharmacy school and after owning a business and everything that I've had to go through, like the anxiety is always going to be there. And yes, people have had to got help. I've encouraged. Uh, People go seek therapy when they need to, but it's really important that we say that just talk to somebody, like just be a bro for somebody is what I say. That's all you got to do. So I I appreciate you sharing that with us. That's really important, but let's dive in. So the whole purpose of this is that we want to air grievances between pharmacy and family practice. (laughs) So I have a couple of questions I would like to ask Dr. Layla. And then I'm sure she has something she wants to ask me about oh, whatever tons. pharmacy. I'm sure, great. I'm excited. <laughs> this may be a, a continuing thing, but we'll dive into it. So, Dr. Layla, what is your favorite thing about your job?
1: I would say my favorite thing about being a family medicine physician is literally treating families. I had a romanticized view of being this roll up your sleeves, old-timey doc, spending time. Hey, Billy, how's your dad? That sort of a thing. And I do have that, actually, uh, despite what my TikTok shows. I have amazing relationships with my patients. And a lot of my grievances are not things that are happening directly with me and my patients. they are actually other patients in the practice that are not mine Or ones of mine that I haven't yet established boundaries with. Uh, But I love families. I love knowing what's going on in the family. I love being able to help knowing the bigger context. That's my favorite thing. And spending time and getting to know the big picture of their whole self, mind, body, spirit, Which is one of the reasons I'm so sad is because I feel like I am not incentivized to do that in this fee-for-service model where the only way to get reimbursed is by having more and more appointments. I really wanted to – I wanted to treat mind, body, spirit. I wanted to do all that and unfortunately – The reason why I am sad is because I am not incentivized to do that in a fee-for-service model. Most people don't realize the only revenue that is generated by a doctor's office is through appointments. There's no other way. So if Hmm. you don't have cram in your appointments in a day, you can barely pay the overhead cost, which keeps going up and up. Inflation is increasing for everybody, but the reimbursements are actually decreasing in absolute value. Like they're Hmm. actually decreasing. So. so
0: what what we're watching, and I'll, I'll speak about pharmacy, but I'm sure it's going to apply for you as well, is that we are the only service model where we don't get to set our prices. Somebody else sets our prices, meaning that every other business will say, hey, you got to pay $12 for this product. I said, hey, I would like to get $12 for this product, but they'll only give you six. So yep. that's the only, we're the only, only business in the world that, that happens. It, it just, it makes no sense that I can't even decide how much I'm worth. And you can't decide how much you're worth as well.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I, I have just to follow up with this. So here in Texas, specifically, I, I live in a very affluent community, like everybody's we got the Cowboys facility down the street. So a lot of our providers here, they're actually transitioning into more of a concierge model, where their patients are paying upwards of like five to $10,000 a year to be there to be their doctor, and you have 24 seven access to them. Have you thought about that? Or is that something that that could work in your area? What do you think about that?
1: I have thought about it. I. It's really interesting that you're asking me this right now because I'm actually making a big pivot in mindset. One of my reasons why I really had a problem with that was especially now that I have a full patient panel of between 1,500 and 2,000 patients. and. Wow. I, have, I accept all insurance. There's not a single one. There's one Medicaid that I don't accept because I'm not credentialed to. And I think it's just like, like we pay them to take care of, you
0: know? of course. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. Welcome Medicaid.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, basically, I always thought, ah, I don't like the inequity. I feel like I don't really want to be serving a population that feels like they can buy me and, and tell sense. me what I want and this and that. And I want to still give access to people who that may be cost prohibitive. But this is the key here that I've realized is in this current model, they are not able to, that population that I'm so concerned about equity is not getting treatment because the, mm-hmm. th- they're the ones that may need an emergency appointment and they're the ones that don't have the bandwidth to wait on hold or to call again and advocate for themselves so the people that I end up seeing most often are ones that are not in that population. So I've been thinking about either a hybrid membership type model, different places do that, MDVIP, Amazon's Med One Medical does that, and or a direct primary care, and that would allow for direct payment to me like we talked about instead of somebody else setting the prices, and then be able to subsidize a small group of patients that I feel are deserving of that care, maybe they're complex Medicaid patients that I want to take care of. I think I need to transition there, but I can't even get there because I'm in like $150,000 of debt to my practice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, 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 I get it, man. It's that's a huge. It's it's crazy the amount of money that can fly around in, in healthcare in general, and like people like us where we're just like, hey, man, we're in the business of taking care of people. Like that's part yes. of the reason why I became you know an independent pharmacist. So. If I were to ask you, aside from reimbursements and everything, what's the toughest part of your job? What is it that you, that you I really dread? If took insurance out of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I would say if I took insurance out of it and I took care... I guess I'll start with the tears. The next layer is the care coordination aspect of it in a system that is, has limited resources. We have people who want to get into a neurologist for their tingling in their pinky finger. But Mm -hmm. I've got a girl who I'm like, you 100% have some kind of ALS something is going on. And I cannot get that person to get into the, their specialist because of the weight and all that stuff. So that aspect is difficult. But if I went to the third layer, it's dealing with, Stigmas in the way that we treat end of life care—that okay. is probably the most difficult part, especially in a, in the con- context of having very little time with patients to establish their goals of care and to really understand what they want from their care. That I would say is the hardest thing that I deal wow.
0: with. I man, I didn't even think about that. That's such a huge part of of life. Is just like, how does the end come about? It's Listen, I I have so much respect for doctors, man. I thought I was going to go to medical school. I got in and I was just like, I can't do it. We all work way too hard. And for, I would say not as much respect as y'all deserve. That's one thing. And I'll share a quick note about my doctor. So I actually, I started subscribing to one of these concierge doctors, Dr. Brian Lowry out here. He owns Frisco Concierge Medicine, a great friend of the podcast. I met him when he first started his practice. My pharmacy was right next to his practice and we just chat little say hey what's going on let's go take off just shoot the shit nothing like intense and one day i we just got back from my wife and i just got back from turkey my wife is turkish and i i felt like garbage i didn't know what was going on with me i just felt like i was peeing all the time i was like just really sick at the point i was at that point i'm like i'm six foot so at at the time i was like 275 pounds i was pretty heavy set and i went up to him i was like, "Hey, man." I hate to do this, but I, I feel like garbage. I don't have a PCP. Like, I don't have insurance at the time. So I was, I was like, do you have any thoughts of what it could be? He didn't even hesitate. He took me in, into his practice, took all my blood work, did all my physicals, did everything for me. Didn't ask for anything in return. Didn't ask for money, nothing. And come to find out, I had an A1C of 12. 12 oh, was my, my God. Oh, I was bad, man. That was real bad. My, my fasting glucose was over 400. I was in horrible shape. And he took me in. And it wasn't until that I pushed, it, I was like, hey, man, I know this is what you do. I would love to be your patient. You saved my life. Like, I would like to do this. And look, thankfully, working with him, man, it, it, I completely reversed my diabetes. I'm not on any medication. My sugars are all normal. I, I work out four, four to five days a week. And so it's, I owe him my life. And that's part of my passion when it comes to PCPs is that I feel like y'all are unrecognized when the specialists are out there doing all these crazy cool things. But the PCP <laughs> is just such a foundation for healthcare that we in this country, we don't encourage preventative medicine. Like we encourage, I had to go see him because I'm a healthcare professional. I should have known better, Mm -hmm. but I still had to go see him just to figure out what was wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And so that model I think is missing. And that's the cool thing about what he does is that his patients have to see him every three months or else they're kicked out. Like you can't, I don't want to treat you. So he makes his patients come see him. And of course, whenever you need him, you can text him and he'll be like, yeah, I'll send it to you, whatever you want. But generally speaking, if it's even if it's like an infection or anything like that, if you need an antibiotic, he's like, he doesn't like to give antibiotics without actually seeing the patient, seeing if he really needs the antibiotic. Good. And so it's, yeah. So he's, he does it correctly. He capped out at like 95 patients or something like that. Oh, I forget wow. That.
1: That's amazing. Yeah.
0: yeah. So he, oh he it's really cool what he does. And this is a shout out to Dr. Brian Lowry. Thank you for saving my life, man. But anyway, that's amazing. Um, that
1: it's so interesting that you bring that up. That is one of my favorite things, actually, is getting people off diabetes medications. And one of the biggest things that if I can get their trust, especially people who their first diabetic, their first A1C is 12, I'm like, I know that you're going to be really hesitant to do this. But if we do insulin and metformin, like if we do it rigorously, we give your pancreas a rest and you make these changes... I think that we can get you off this medication and I try because a lot of people don't want to get started on stuff because in their minds they they just see it as I'm going to be on this the rest of my life but right, if you right. lay a pathway for them that says no this is in your control but just if you were to break your leg you're going to get better but you got to use takes- crutches You can't walk on that broken leg. You got to give your body a chance to recover. So I love that. And I have numerous patients who have gone from A1Cs over 10 to now in the sixes controlled with either nothing or just metformin alone. And then right now, of course, we're using all the GLP-1s as we're able to. But I've noticed that they're not as popular with the diabetics. I have numerous patients that once they... Commit to making the lifestyle changes and they allow the trust to do the insulin in the short term. Many of them are, their A1Cs are in the sixes with no medication or metformin alone. Or I was going to say these GLP1 agonists, which oh, are. Oh, that's, that's a, a whole miracle. other thing.
0: That's oh, whole... I can't wait. We'll save that that for another episode. Yeah. We'll we'll do a we'll do a GLP episode one time. We've we've had a deep dive so much on that. I am an Ozempic person. I'll be proudly to tell you that. I I lost after starting the medication, I'm down forty pounds. So I'll I'll tell you. No, it's
1: an incredible medication. I really think that the hesitation with it I published a video about this. The hesitation is really just the hassle because if and because once you dig into the evidence of it, it is truly a, a great medication. But can I reverse a question back on you, Mister yeah, Doctor Compounding Pharma? So, what if I were to if I were to advise people who are in the let's start at it from a person who's running an aesthetics clinic? And you're going to decide to do compounding GLP1s. Now, we know that yep. the FDA has basically said this is not regulated. Mm-hmm. I know Nova Nordisk is doing cease and desist things. I don't know if Eli Lilly yep. is for Terzepatide, yeah. but. Uh, so, is there. What's your prediction on what? Uh, here's a three part question, Dr. H. What's your prediction mm-hmm. on how long is this bubble going to last? The mm-hmm. second thing is are there questions and things that. A doctor can do to ask a compounding pharmacy to see if they're like,
0: Let- yeah, yeah. I
1: guess we'll start with those two.
0: Yeah. So for, first, it's always important. I always encourage every PCP to have a go to pharmacist where they can ask this question locally to them because they're gonna they're gonna have their ears to the street, right? They're gonna know what's going on everywhere. The most yeah. important question I always ask tell providers to ask their pharmacy: Are you using the semaglutide salt or using the actual USP base? So that's the difference. Is that some people that are using it's the salt. salt sucks. Awful. Like you get that stuff from overseas and it's not great. The semaglutide powder that I've seen being sold that we had was that we were able to first see the certificate of analysis. So I see everything that's in it, what it should look like, what percentage. And this is something that every provider should ask for any of their compounds. Hey, do you have a COA for this product? That's always important. That's number one. The second part is to ask, what are your dosages? Are you adding vitamin B to it? Is there any star proteins that you are adding to it as well? Because that's an in, in, that tells you that they actually took care and wanted to see. Hey, we want to help our patients because whenever you start the semaglutide, one of the main side effects is that you are going to have low energy because you are not eating as much. And to counteract that, pharmacies are adding uh, vitamin B complex to their injections to help with that. So that's number one. That tells you a they're doing the right. Would own
1: you process. say though that is to me that is an impurity that shouldn't be in there? What do you think?
0: When they add it in there, now these companies like Novodor Disc and Eli Lilly can't say anything because you're actually mixing it with something else. So it's not uh, pure semaglutide. So, for example, like we we have to make products that are a little bit different from what is actually commercially available. And so okay. we add stuff in there. Like, for example, we make a tadalafil, like a Cialis, but mm-hmm. I add arginine in there because it's not going to be just like what they have. And just I know it's a good protein that helps with absorption of Cialis. That's why I like to use it in my capsules. So things that's like awesome. that, it shows that they care, that they're doing their homework, and they're not yeah. in it just to, this is just semaglutide, you got to pay the X amount of money. The fact that they're adding stuff in there to, that's going to help the patient, the better it is for them. Lipoprotein, vitamin Bs have been used for a long time, even before all this, just for, just for energy, just for weight loss and stuff like that. The fact that they want to add it with the semaglutide is, to me, the best option that they could do. Making sure you know where it comes from. Making sure you know they're not using the salt. So there's like a, a semaglutide sodium. You want to avoid that one. That's a terrible one. And, and making sure they're the using
1: certificate? That. You said, this is the part that like I don't have, yeah. right? I don't know this. Certificate of ingredients? Is that what you An, said?
0: Analysis. Certificate of analysis. analysis. I, okay. So I, I every need to every powder we get, and no matter what it is, these oral, topical, it doesn't matter. I always get a COA to tell me it is 99.8% this. What else is in it? Where it came from? Temperature storage, precautions, batch, lot number, and stuff like that, just in case there's ever a recall.
1: And how are compounding pharmacies regulated? Like, how do I know that their COA is actually legit? Because that's something, I don't know if you read Bottle of Lies.
0: Yep. yep. Did
1: you read it? Yeah,
0: I have, oh. yeah. Yeah, uh, so.
1: That that went, and I was like, oh my God, all of our stuff is from places <laughs> with endemic fraud and where the exploited Pover- impoverished people are faking uh, anyway. I'll, I'll get. I'll, I'll take my tinfoil hat on. Off that's
0: Sorry, right, The that right, answer: <laughs> the injection pharmacies, the ones that do like injections like semaglutide, they have something called URAC accreditation, and so they're inspected <clears throat> regularly. So they have one. The board of pharmacies usually regulating them every year, and then on top of that, they're actually getting inspected by by outside organizations, different accreditations. For us, we're PCAB accredited, so we have this company called PCAB coming and, and regulate our stuff to make sure that we're keeping things clean. We're documenting, we have training, like with there's, there's a whole list of things that they always double check. And it's always a surprise visit. Like we never know when they're coming. And so it's why you want to make sure all your ducks are in a pond in, in a row just at the right time.
1: And how do you get, who, how do you get these powders? Where do those come from?
0: Some places you can, some places, right. It's like the cheap ones, obviously you can, but there's some companies that we trust. For example, our pharmacy is sponsored by Fagron, which is a huge company that is very strict about where they get their powders from, how they test it, their lab tested and everything. And then whenever we make a compound, Dr. Layla, we send it out to a company to lab test it as well to make sure it's got the right stuff in it, the proper concentration, and it's safe, and it's safe to use. There's no bacteria impurities in there. And pharmacies that compound should have all these on file.
1: I feel like this is an important thing to underscore for anybody who is either in a med spa. I let me just tell you I have there's I actually oversee two cosmetic injectors nice. and I am very strict about Good. what we do and they've been asking me to do this And I am like, I refuse to be a doctor that is just one that is just, yeah, I'm just going to not pay attention to any of this. Yeah, sign this and make the money. No, I want to see all their charts. I want to make sure that we're doing it right. I want to make sure the compounding pharmacy is good. I want to make sure they have informed consent about the whole FDA situation. And then on top of it, make sure that it's, just mm-hmm. on the up and up. And so I, I was very uncomfortable with that. And now I have a lot of information now to move forward. Because yeah. I did see that there, I think it was a doctor in Texas that is currently being. Yes. He, tell me, do you, what do you know? I just saw a headline and that's all I know.
0: I don't think, I don't know if I want to, I don't really want to get into it. Just mostly because like I have, uh, I have, I help doctors with this all, all the time. So it's,
1: Got it. I'll Got just it.
0: say, just be smart.
1: Be smart, it. check don't, your, do your charts, don't, exactly. this is internal medicine. What I told yeah. the NPs that I oversee, I said, if anybody treats semaglutide or terzepatide like it, like injections, like it's not internal medicine, they are foolish. Yep. And yep. you truly need to be aware. And also the BMI requirements, like there's some med spas that are giving it to people with a BMI of 22.
0: Yep. 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 And I I will – I want to make sure to say this because I don't know if it's the same problem for you guys up in Ohio, but please don't get medications from a chiropractor. Oh,
1: my God.
0: Don't – Yeah. That's one thing that pisses me off about TikTok. It's like I have been banned by so many because I will straight up call them out that they're sitting there calling themselves doctor whatever and all you had to do was get a damn certificate that says, oh, look, I'm a associate's whatever. And they're giving advice on like thyroid therapy, hormone replacement oh therapy. God. Bro, yes. you're a glorified masseuse. Why don't you step back? <laughs> step I, back a
1: little bit. I've gone to the deep dive on the accreditation thing with chiropractors in the different schools. And I actually think I might make a video about it.
0: Yeah. Because
1: do it. the issue is it's not that all of them are bad. In fact, there right. are some that are very educated. There's some schools that do a very good basic sciences. But the credentialing, what each state requires from them is so different. Some of them need a bachelor's degree, some don't. Some of them need to take step one, step two, step three of their chiropractor exam. Some just need one. Yep. It's literally a crapshoot. So somebody commented on one of my videos when I was talking about the people who deserve reimbursement because I was talking about provider status for pharmacists, and somebody commented, "You forgot chiropractors," and I said, no, "I no, we didn't." Key. I th- yeah, I was like, I don't talk about the C word. And he yeah. was like, oh, I understand you're, a, they, they make you feel insecure. And I said, yeah, insecure, like riding on the back of a motorcycle with no helmet and not knowing who my driver is. If that's, that's what you mean point, by yeah. insecurity. Oh, of then- course,
0: but you had to say that because you're a whole ex thing. Oh my God, Dr. Layla.
1: Yes. And that, <laughs> I have a very dark sense of humor, of course. but seriously, I got you. like literally like that is
0: Sir, again, we'll be right back.
1: Now, now I just restart it and come back in. It's all good. I feel like it's like all good anyway, though. Yeah, chiropractors, I it's not okay. It's just like compounding pharmacies have Mm -hmm. some things like that, as Mm -hmm. well as doctors. The obesity clinic, mm-hmm. the crap that they're exploiting patients with, I actually will go. I'll, if there's a Groupon for a laser lipo thing, I will purchase it and I will go and I'll see what they're doing. And I can t- literally, I went- and you don't tell hand. them
0: what you are, right?
1: No, I don't tell them That's who s- I am.
0: Smart. I I'm going to try that. I just, like just I'm a, just sweet. like,
1: oh. Yeah, I actually have, I haven't shared my weight journey either, but I struggle a lot with that. Yeah. And currently I'm just in a mental health crisis. So that's my, look at Layla. She's lost almost all of her mental health. Yeah. <laughs> like, but anyway, just... That, that's just where I'm at I'm now. Sorry. But. This one place, they put me in like a tanning bed that had a red light. And then oh, after, no. put me on a vibrating machine to shake out the fat cells <laughs> that were melted in the tanning bed. And people and I pay like,
0: for that stuff. People pay lots yeah. of money for that stuff.
1: Yes. And so then I asked after, I said, I want to talk to the physician. I want to talk to who the... And they were like, the nurse practitioner's here. And I'm like, does she like own this? Like, and then it was like, no. And I was like, I want to talk to... It turns out the owners were in, um, they were in Florida and they, I think were not physicians. I think they were chiropractors, but sometimes they are physicians. Sometimes they
0: call themselves that too. They call themselves a a physician. Like they'll, they'll sit there and say, Oh, I'm a clinician or whatever bullshit they want to sit out there. But bro, that's (sighs) that's a whole other thing. I don't want to bash an entire, I know good chiropractors. I know really quality ones. I go to them sometimes. But yes. I don't go I don't go to a, a garage to fix my boat, right? I go to right. a it's different yes. stuff, right? There's different things that they do. But shout out to the good clinicians out there. If you're one mm-hmm. of those wellness people on the internet that want to try and we have a chiropractor here that'll prescribe uh testosterone straight up.
1: How? They're uh, not they,
0: so- they have a medical director that they write the prescription under and they don't even see the patient. Perfect. Yeah.
1: And that's yeah. because honestly. Really, we're placed, going back to the original kind of thing, we're placed in these positions. I know for me personally, especially going to a puppy mill medical school where they charge an arm and a leg to bribe the state of New York to allow us to rotate there. It, I have, and you the loans that you get, some of them are FAFSA, some of them are federal, some of them have to be private Private. loans. And when I went in, it was uh, 2010, and... That was just post housing market crash. My interest rate for mm. one of my loans was 11% and accruing interest as I was in school. I currently mm. have half a million, not an exaggeration, half a million in debt right now. And at some point, what are you going to do? I'm very lucky. Lo- we
0: never We never apply to these loan deferments or everything like that because we make too much money, right? We never get yes. that luxury.
1: Never get the luxury. And the only way that you're able to do something is if you work for federally qualified health center, or if you work for a 503 C hospital, that is a nonprofit. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: a lot of those situations, they are exploiting your labor. So it's, yeah, you might get in 10 years, you might get it, your debt eliminated, but to what cost? Yeah, <laughs> At right. At what cost? Yeah. yeah. Wow. And who knows if that loophole will be closed by the time you get there. That's mm-hmm. scary, too. There's yeah, a lot of money that around
0: health We've talked about how much things are being used. We have, a, we have time for a couple more questions, Dr. Layla. Anything that you want to ask about the pharmacy world?
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, tons of stuff, actually. But, yeah, I guess, well, what do you think about – okay, so th- what do you know about – Is it truly the DEA that is choking off the supply of amphetamine substrates right now? No,
0: I'll tell you exactly what's going on. I know exactly what's going on. If you go on the internet and just Google Adderall medication, just Google it, you'll find Mm -hmm. a list of websites of where you could go online, meet with a doctor, and get a prescription of Adderall all in one time. And so for us, they're ordering all of it because this, the FDA has always yes. regulated how much you can order, no matter what. Sorry, the DEA can regulate how much you can order and how much a wholesaler can hold. So these online pharmacies are purchasing everything and leaving nothing for us. That's really- so. The, the,
1: the And the demand has gone up in the pandemic. Oh
0: yeah. Oh yeah. And
1: these these are other predatory places yep. too. There was, I won't name any because I don't want, to, you know, allegedly. allegedly. But uh, there there there's some of these places that, Essentially, their business model is to diagnose you with ADHD to prescribe Adderall. Essentially, just like it's another pill mill. And I believe we're responsible as in... I have a very strong moral compass with this. Of course. And I feel like it is imperative that we prevent the next opioid crisis, which I do believe is going to be an amphetamine crisis. Mm -hmm. And I, I... Yeah. But what about why... Why certainly what's with the supply chain issue right now i feel like if there's money to be made there should be some factory that wants to make more for all these things we go v's that bound adderall all these things what's going on there
0: so i know that eli Lilly specifically they're going to start doing direct to consumer dispensing so meaning like you can get your prescription through eli Lilly, so you can get your drugs right away from them, which is great because if I fill it, if I get the actual Ozempic or whatever, I lose money every single prescription. So we don't even care. Pharmacy
1: either. benefit managers. Yeah.
0: Let's not get into that. I don't want to lose my job. I know. <laughs> but, but
1: Yeah, I've been procrastinating we'll editing yeah. that video. Mm-hmm.
0: So I I think it's good for come from direct manufacturers because it eliminates the wholesale cost. It eliminates like PBMs trying to regulate how much they can charge for it, XYZs. That's great that they're going to do that because patients need to use it. I'm a firm believer in using it safely and doing all the right things around it, which during our GLP one conversation, we'll get deeper into it. But the supply chain, like for example, we are a huge hormone replacement pharmacy. We do a lot of hormone replacement and I rely a lot on progesterone. And for some reason, progesterone 200 milligrams is out everywhere. I don't know why I can't figure out like why it's so hard. Like when I order 24 bottles at a time, just because I have that many patients on it and for a company to start making more and to increase their supply, they have to reapply under the good manufacturing practice, GMP, and say, hey, I'm making more of this for X, Y, Z reason. Then they have to get inspected, and then they have to get regulated all over again. So it's a process that lags behind. Another medication that we use all the time is NP thyroid, which is actual thyroid desiccant mm-hmm. coming from bovine. That has to be regulated tightly as well. The only best way to order it is direct from the manufacturer. So I order it direct from the manufacturer, so I know that their batch is correct, it's been treated the right way, and if there's ever a recall, i go right to them. They send me new stuff back. So that's why I like to do that one. And so the wholesalers and the PBMs are in charge of negotiating pricing. So the PBM was like, all right, I'll give you, I'll put this drug under our formulary if you give it to us at a much cheaper rate. And we'll
1: give you a rebate. We'll give you $500, but we won't pass that savings on to the consumer.
0: That's the issue, right? So they're doing that to save money. But the idea was like, oh, we'll make it cheaper for the patient. No, we'll leave the same price. We'll just keep, we'll just pocket the rebates.
1: And we'll make we won't reimburse the pharmacy for even the price that we've negotiated. Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'll send you a picture later. I'll send you a picture of how much I lost in a ninety-day prescription of Genuvia. It's a whole other thing.
1: Oh, that's my starting God. this
0: year. It's crazy. But so, if- what's
1: the solution, Doctor H? What's the solution? Is it? the DEA, do we need more people in the FDA? Does this need to be a health crisis prioritized? Is this a legend? Like, where do we fix this supply chain issue? I I know definitely stopping relying on foreign manufacturers should be Mm -hmm. a huge priority, but where do we begin and how do we like tell our listeners and whoever, how they can get involved in fixing this?
0: So I know in Florida specifically, they just accepted the FDA is allowing them to import medications from Canada. Which is a huge help because Canada's system for accepting medications, drug medications is very stringent. But they also get it much cheaper because they're able to get it from a larger source. And I think you froze. I'm calling. Spectre hey, Max. welcome back.
1: <laughs> I'm hoping you got your full stream of consciousness. I heard you're going to yeah, call Canada. I kept going. <laughs> but
0: yeah, so getting stuff from Canada is cool because they, they regulate things a lot tighter than we do. And they have certain practices that they double check XYZ stuff. So they're really good about making sure their stuff is from a good source and it's a hell of a lot cheaper. So Florida's allowing, the FDA is allowing Florida to bring their stuff in, I think, just to test the waters kind of thing. There's no money for wholesalers and manufacturers to make medications. That's they're getting such they're getting tightened so much as far as like their workforce and stuff like that from the PBMs that there's just no money for them to do. Where's the incentive for them to make more medication when they're making pennies on the dollar for let's say Hydrocodon or, or or Adderall for that case? So it's PBMs so,
1: again. It's PBMs.
0: I, I, allegedly.
1: we didn't a, name but, any of them. <laughs> We didn't need yeah, any true, of them. Yeah, true, true.
0: <laughs> yeah, but um, I, the the solution to the PBMs is easy: transparency. Just be, mm-hmm. just show us, show people what you're doing. Show for people like me, I will show online saying, "Hey, this is how much I got paid for a medication. Yes. I'm about to lose $200 just for filling this one prescription for a patient." Yes. Whereas, like we talked about before, I don't set my prices, so I can't see what they're wanting to charge. Mm-hmm. Not just that; at the end of the year, they're going to start doing something called DIR fees, where if a patient hasn't been picking up their medication the right way or anything, they have a certain percent of your payments that you've received will go back to the PBMs and DIR fees.
1: Mm.
0: Crazy for Medicare patients. I'm, it's wild.
1: It's, I'm writing this down because I'm like, Yeah,
0: dive deep, man, dive deep. You'll see.
1: I just can't, I just can't even handle it. And I think that people don't understand what PBMs are at all. And because of that, it's so difficult to get anybody to lobby for change and reform so i think that should be on a priority for me at least to try to educate but
0: unfortunately a lot of the a lot of the patients a lot sorry a lot of the politicians are paid by these drug companies there's no incentive for them i had a meeting with my congressman here and i I showed him the amount of money that they were making and stuff like that i'll call this asshole out because i frankly don't like him at all what's his name van something he got in trouble recently. Like he got kicked out of Congress for like oh, having a, the, Oh, he had an affair with the ISIS queen. Like not it's
1: Vance. No, that's my, no, state. no,
0: no. That's your state.
1: Yeah. That's my state. Vance.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Vance something. Anyway, piece of crap guy. I had a meeting with him, dude, just brushed me off completely. And I was like, bro, I'm in your congressional district. I am a business owner. I'm a Syrian American that lives in your state. And you can't even listen to me. So like, bro, go get out of here. Man.
1: I think that the big answer is citizens united which is the yep. super PACs, as long as people can donate as long as it costs a, a, a billion dollars to run van taylor team.
0: sorry hmm? van, taylor. van taylor van taylor okay awesome name. yeah good do you hear what happened to him no yeah he had an affair with this isis leader's wife that's insane. like the terrorist organization
1: that's yeah insane. and i was like bro doing what are bro? we doing what are we doing, <laughs> are we doing here like, Cause
0: he had me on his Twitter. Like he like put a screenshot of us talking on his Twitter and I was like, Hey man, can you take this down? <laughs> I want nothing to do with you. I was like, just take my face like, off. I want
1: nothing to, like, looking like exactly. that. Then, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm Iranian. Yeah,
0: yeah that's right. I forgot half Iranian, half German. Huh?
1: Yep. Mm-hmm. There you go. All there the loved people um, of the world.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I, I hate to wrap this up. We're going to try to make this a monthly thing. Dr. Layla, where can they find you on social media?
1: You can find me at Dr. Layla is sad. And right, I guess I have, that's really where I am right now. So that's, oh,
0: that, I have, I have,
1: I guess I have a threads that I should have looked up. I have a threads. I think it's probably Layla. It's Luke. your Instagram account, isn't it? It's yeah. It's connected to my Instagram account. I guess my personal Instagram account, I think I haven't, I haven't processed that part yet. So right now, Dr. Layla is sad is where you can find me. And if, and I'm planning on possibly going to YouTube and finding a way to go. make it. I need to find a way to cross upload things to other platforms. But really, yeah. I didn't expect people to care about what I had to say. So
0: it's cool. You have good information, man. I, I love your TikToks. Your TikToks are, I, I know you've had no problem calling out stuff that you don't like. So I, I always appreciate what you do online and stuff like that so please check out her tiktok she's a great follow and by the way here's my journal i always keep it right next to me i know our, our audio listener my journal is right here next to me. It's i love that yeah.
1: i actually yeah. i have my journal this is my, there you go i have a dig, it's a digital journal and i'm smart my smart looks.
0: i have horrible handwriting it never works for me there
1: oh yeah i th- yeah. we could talk about that i've got all i've got all kinds yeah. of, of methods to to get better sweet yeah but awesome. yeah, I, Dr. Layla is sad. I don't know. We'll see what happens in the future. I might do a podcast. I'm not sure. I just, I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to figure it out. I actually have an idea for a podcast. I know you're winding this up, but when good. we, I don't want to share what it is on here because, Fair. but Fair. because Fair. I don't want to get my ideas taken, but yeah. I do have an idea for a true crime podcast that is medical. And I think oh. I am the perfect person to do this. So I can't wait to, to start working on that and tell you about that.
0: And can't wait to hear about it, man. It's Dr. Layla Javidi, family fa- practitioner. I appreciate your time, man.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to coming back.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll see you in a month.
1: All right, we'll see ya.
0: Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, consider giving us a five-star review anywhere that you get your episodes. Follow us at Sports Pharmacy Pod as well as me, your host, at Dr. Mixalot. Join our Discord server for more interactions with me and fellow listeners. As always, stay well, stay hydrated, and I will catch you next time.